Well, it's good to be here to worship the Lord with you. I'm Keith Nash. I'm on the pastoral staff here at the Linwood Church. And one of those responsibilities that fall to Sondra and me is to lead the Seniors on the Go group. Uh, and we are having a, an outing at Lake Okoboji on Tuesday, July 20th. We'd be delighted to have as many of you as would like to join us for that day. Um, I thank Pastor Mark for giving me the privilege of sharing the Word of God this morning. And we celebrate today the independence of our country. And we of all people, we believers in Jesus, uh, ought to celebrate America's birth with enthusiasm. Because America is a Christian nation. As put forward, yeah, yeah, that's right. As put forward by uh, Supreme Court Justice um, David Brewer a little over 100 years ago. Now, it's not in the sense that we're trying to establish Christianity as the national religion. No. It's not that everybody that's in America is Christians. But as Justice Brewer said, we are a Christian nation because Christianity so largely shaped America and molded it. And so, at the same time that we celebrate the Christian roots of our nation's founding, we understand that America and our society in general is shifting and drifting further and further away from its Christian roots, more and more towards secularism, towards either being indifferent to the Christian faith or being openly hostile to it. And so it's with that in mind that I'm grateful that Pastor Mark is preaching a series right now on firm foundations, calling us back to how to live with solid Christian roots and foundations in troubling or difficult times. Now, I grew up in a Christian environment, in another era, it seems. I was told that if I wanted to please the Lord, I needed to keep my life pure. And that's true. That's a true principle that needs to be trumpeted everywhere. However, the way they impressed that upon me was not necessarily always helpful. Scriptures like, touch not the unclean thing. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. All are good scriptures. What communion has light with darkness? Those are all good scriptures. But then in the way that was interpreted to me was that they said, don't, have let any, don't let yourself be touched by anything tainted with sin. And they, they in, interpreted that mean, to mean, don't, don't go into taverns. For sure, don't go in their do, in, through the door. Those, and stay away from movie theaters. Politics is dirty business. Stay away from it. Stay out of anything that might corrupt you. Stay, keep yourself isolated in order to be pure. But as I read in the Bible, I began to realize that there's some things in the Bible that don't quite match up too well with that. 
For instance, in the book of Daniel. We're going to look at Daniel chapter 1 in just a moment. I remember, as I read, I, I noticed that Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were taken forcibly because of, of military conquest. They were taken out of their homeland, their comfortable setting, their peaceful and, in large sense, godly setting, and they were forcibly resettled in Babylon, an ungodly pagan setting. And, it's, and the, the Bible tells us that Daniel then was made an advisor, and, in, and actually he became the chief advisor to the most powerful king of his day. He was a pagan. He was an ungodly king, Nebuchadnezzar. How did Daniel navigate that? How did he promote Nebuchadnezzar's agenda and the pagan and progress of, his, of the pagan country of Babylon and at the same time maintain his own integrity, his own godly righteousness? How did he do that? He actually served over a period of about 70 years probably four different kings that he was a, a personal advisor to. How did he do that and still have God's blessings? He was promoting a system that was godless. But at the same time, he was a godly man. How did he do that? More importantly, how do we live in a world that is increasingly godless and increasingly secular and we do it in a way that serves this, our civil responsibilities, our business uh, our work responsibilities, and our commercial industries. I mean, we, systems. We go to stores that make their money sometimes selling products that are absolutely corrosive to society, to the Christian faith. How do we do that? Now, understand, this morning I'm, I'm going to share some things on a, on a, a, more on civil responsibility. Living with firmly rooted, firm foundations in a godless system in a, as a civil citizen. But I don't have any specific agenda in mind. I'm not calling us to civil activism necessarily. I don't have the, an agenda in mind. I simply want to call us to have the roots, solid foundation for living in a godly way devoted to Jesus and maintain our integrity with God. Life for us is being lived in an environment that is often hostile or indifferent to Christ. Fortunately, the Bible helps us, doesn't leave us without some clear principles, and history helps us. The question that we want to understand is, we're, the Bible says we're strangers and aliens in our world. This is not our home. We're to be in this world, but not of it. We're, in fact, to live 
counterculturally. That means that we're going to at times st- stand out in the, in, the, in the society we're a part of. Now, it is convenient. Trust me, I know, because I'm, I like to keep, I'm an introvert by nature, so I like to keep a low profile. So, I know it's convenient to keep our heads down and just get along with society, get along with things around us, just sort of put up with things. Blend into the world around you. But at times, we'll see God's calling us to maybe stand up when everybody else is sitting down. And then we become a target, whether that's for good or for ill. How do you know when to take a stand for what's right and when to simply, or to, or to be, or if you do that, you're simply known as a troublemaker, a stubborn troublemaker? How do you know when to fight for the right? Or when to just get along patiently? How do you know when to defy the law? Because just because something is legal doesn't make it right. We understand that. Or when is, are we called to be law-abiding citizens? All of these issues, we're going to look at Daniel 1 in just a moment, but stick with me. History helps us. A generation ago, a man named Martin Luther King Jr. gained uh, prominence in in, uh, the 1960s leading protests on the injustice of segregation. He ended up being a spokesman leading peaceful protests all over the country. And one in particular was in Birmingham, Alabama, and they ended up landing him in jail in that city. And many of his fellow clergy, he was a Baptist preacher, many of his fellow clergy of that day urged him to quit being a troublemaker, and that his actions were giving Christianity a black eye. And his response to that criticism is one of the great documents from American history in the 20th century. A letter from a Birmingham jail. In that letter that he wrote, he mapped out the rationale for his actions based upon his commitment to Jesus Christ. And he made a distinction there between just law and unjust law. That's critical for us. And we need to keep, we need to see that distinction very clearly and keep that in mind. In that, in his Letter from a Birmingham jail, he wrote, among other things, this. I've tried to make make clear that it is wrong to use immoral means to attain moral ends. But now I must affirm that it is just as wrong, or perhaps even more so, to use moral means to preserve immoral ends. He also said, listen closely, he said, in no sense do I advocate evading or defying the law. That would lead to anarchy. One who breaks an unjust law must do so openly, lovingly, and with a willingness to accept the penalty. Now, I want you to listen to a, a clip from that letter from a Birmingham jail. It's about a two-minute clip, and he defines for himself the distinction between just law and unjust law. That's so critical. The, there's an actor 
portraying Martin Luther King in this, in this rendition. But listen closely to what he says. You express a great deal of anxiety over our willingness to break laws. This is certainly a legitimate concern. Since we so diligently urge people to obey the Supreme Court's decision of 1954, outlawing segregation in the public schools, at first glance it may seem rather paradoxical for us consciously to break laws. One may well ask, How can you advocate breaking some laws and obeying others? The answer lies in the fact that there are two types of laws, just and unjust. I would be the first to advocate obeying just laws. One has not only a legal, but a moral responsibility to obey just laws. Conversely, one has a moral responsibility to disobey unjust laws. I would agree with St. Augustine that an unjust law is no law at all. Now, what is the difference between the two? How does one determine whether a law is just or unjust? A just law is a man-made code that squares with the moral law or the law of God. An unjust law is a code that is out of harmony with the moral law. To put it in the terms of St. Thomas Aquinas, An unjust law is a human law that is not rooted in eternal law and natural law. Any law that uplifts human personality is just. Any law that degrades human personality is unjust. All segregation statutes are unjust because segregation distorts the soul and damages the personality. It gives the segregator a false sense of superiority and the segregated a false sense of inferiority. Segregation, to use the terminology of the Jewish philosopher Martin Buber, substitutes an I-it relationship for an I-thou relationship and ends up relegating persons to the status of things. Hence, segregation is not only politically, economically, and sociologically unsound, it is morally wrong and sinful. On to say in that letter in a, to a, in a, from a Birmingham jail, we should never forget that everything Adolf Hitler did in Germany was legal. And everything that the Hungarian freedom fighters did in Hungary was illegal back there in the World War II era. It was illegal to aid and comfort a Jew in Hitler's Germany. It was legal for that. Even so, I'm sure that if I had I lived in Germany at the time, he wrote, I would have aided and comforted my Jewish brothers. If today I lived in a communist country where certain principles dear to Christian faith are suppressed, I would openly advocate disobeying that country's anti-religious laws. So when a Christian lives in a land, should he obey the law of the land? When should he obey the law of the land? When should he openly defy it? Daniel felt that pressure, as we'll see. Daniel felt the pressure 
And he dealt with it. The first century Christians felt that pressure. That strain between those two concerns. And they speak to us on this issue. Let's look at Daniel 1. And let's lay out the, the, the setting for this. Beginning at verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, uh, Judah Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, became, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. So it's obviously a godless, pagan country that he led. Then the king, that's Nebuchadnezzar, commanded Ashpenaz, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowment, knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them liter the literature and language of the Chaldeans. In other words, bring the cream of the crop, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego among them, and then indoctrinate them in our pagan country and make them leaders and servants of our land. Next verse. And the king assigned them a daily portion of the food. These, these recruits, a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. So here we have them in a pagan setting. How are they going to live with integrity? How do they live their faith? That's the question all of us need to face. I have seven priorities that come out of the scriptures here in Daniel and in the first few chapters of Acts. And then they'll boil down to three basic principles and finally one bottom line. First priority, understand that all just law is rooted in God and His Word. When the early church was brought before the authorities, the Jewish council of their day, and the Jewish council said, we have issued a decree that no one's to be preaching in the name of Jesus, and yet you're doing that. Peter and John responded in Acts 4.19 whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. They recognize there are man-made rules and there are God-given law. Thomas Jefferson understood that. He said there are certain rights that are given to us that we are endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights. Among them is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The early apostles declared this principle in Acts 5.29 this way. We must obey God rather than men. Just law needs to be obeyed. Second priority. Maintain your own integrity with God. Go back to me with, to the experience of Daniel. His first challenge as he was brought to, to Babylon was... The di a dietary issue. 
He was being brought as a recruit to be trained and he was to be fed with the best of the food of that land. It was unclean for a, a devout Jew to eat that food though. And so he had determined that this was the line of demarcation. To, ma to maintain my own integrity with God, I dare not eat that food. That was the first test. Verse 8 of this chapter. And so Daniel determined that he would not eat the rich and unclean food of the king. He would obey God rather than man. He determined that God, following God in his heart was more important than obedience to a, a king or the civil laws of the land. And we have to determine that. That our priority is to a higher law than the civil law or the business law or the economic laws of the world around us. Maintain your own integrity with God. Third priority, be polite and courteous in your resistance. There may well be, perish the thought, but there may well be a day when some, one or more of us has to simply stand our ground and say, this I cannot obey. This law, this law of the land I cannot obey because of my Christian commitment to Jesus. But should that happen, it matters, it matters not only what you say, but how you say it. If you look at the last half of verse 8 of Daniel 1, you'll see how Daniel dealt with this issue. He went to the one in charge, the eunuch in charge of him, and it says he asked permission to not eat. He didn't simply go to that eunuch and say, Hey, I'm a Jew. I can't eat that dirty stuff you're offering us. You tell the king he can stick that law in his ear. He didn't do that. He didn't, wasn't defiant. He wasn't belligerent. He simply said, I, I, have, I have Christian principles, I have godly principles that, I, that means that I will be violating my own conscience. Please excuse me from this. Now the eunuch didn't just roll over at that point. He said, listen, my job is to, make, is to present all you guys as healthy and strong as possible. And if I don't do that, I'll lose my job and probably my life. So Daniel offered an alternative, a legitimate compromise alternative. He said, say, well then just put us to a test for a week, just one week. Feed us vegetables, just fresh vegetables and stuff that's, that's clean for us. And then the others could eat what, you've, what they were pres they're prescribed to eat. And then after a week, Check us out. See who, if we're any less for it. Of course, he found out it's better to eat clean food. But he gave, he gave the eunuch an out. You see, the principle here is that we are to work faithfully and winsomely for the Lord. We're to live winsomely for God. 
Not antagonistic, not, not as though we have a chip on our shoulder. Because we need to know and live it out that pleasing God makes us better citizens. Living a life of godliness makes us better employees. Living for God makes us better in society. We should be the most trusted, the most respected workers in the company's workforce. We should be model citizens in almost all cases. Be winsome, even if you have to defy unjust law, human authorities. Somebody has said it this way, the gospel is offensive, and there are parts of it that, that secular minds will never understand and will always misunderstand. The gospel is offensive, but we should not be. Fourth priority, speak up for God at every opportunity. Now, while Daniel was a winsome, kind-hearted, gentle, spirited man. He recognized something. He recognized that his job, his primary objective was not to simply be a nice guy. It's not enough for us to simply get through life having everybody think well of us. Our calling is to be devoted to the Lord God and to live out our faith and to declare God at every opportunity we have and make Him the priority everywhere we turn. Do you remember when in chapter 2 Daniel was called before the king and they said, say, we hear that you can interpret dreams. Daniel didn't just sort of cower a little bit and say, well, yeah, I guess I can. He didn't say that. He said, no, I can't interpret dreams. I don't know. I don't have that ability. But there is a God in heaven who understands the future and has given you a peek into the future if you'll turn to Him and look to Him. Do you remember Daniel in the lion's den? When the law was declared it was illegal to pray publicly, Daniel saw that as an open defiance and, and, a, and a declaration of war against faith in God. And so he openly defied the law. And he was willing to face the consequences. Our job is primarily to speak up for God at every opportunity. Fifth principle or priority. Pray. Intentionally put your life in God's hands. The early church pictured that very well for us. After they were threatened by the Jewish authorities and told, don't ever preach in Jesus' name again in this city, the early church leaders went home and they prayed. They said, Lord, in Acts 4.29, Lord, Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. They didn't pray for safety, protection. They prayed for boldness. But they put themselves deliberately in God's hands. The sixth priority. Expect to be misunderstood and to suffer for your faith. We are called to a countercultural lifestyle. And the early church 
recognized that they, to live by the to live consistent to the teachings of Jesus, to declare the gospel of Christ, meant to defy those around them, and they expected to be misunderstood, and they expected harsh treatment from it. Acts 5, 27 to 29, and when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name, Yet you have filled Jerusalem with this, your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood against us. The, ba- the council was basically saying, we've told you not to preach Jesus and you're doing it anyway. And in verse 29, Peter says, we must obey God rather than men. And in response, the council wanted to put him to death on the spot. Turns out they were beaten soundly for it. You know what the, the believers did when they left? They didn't go out and say, Foul, foul, our rights have been abused. They left rejoicing that they had been counted worthy of suffering for the name of Christ. Expect to be misunderstood and to suffer for your faith. Seventh priority. Intentionally choose loyalty to God over present favor, over the favor of those around you. I have already said it, but Acts 5, 41, 42, that they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. So, what are we to do? How do we live our lives? Follow these seven priorities. And basically it boils down to three principles. Be rooted upon the solid rock of God's Word, the Bible. You and I need to be students of the book. We need to be rooted in the Bible. This is our foundation. As Pastor Mark has been preaching these past weeks. Second, We should live winsomely with love as our guiding principle. We ought to be as loving, as warm-hearted as we know how to do and be in our world. And third, be supremely and tenaciously loyal to Jesus Christ. How goes it in your relationship to Jesus? comes down to one bottom line. A Christian is first and foremost loyal to Jesus Christ. Jude, bow your head with me in prayer. Lord Jesus, it is our joy and our privilege to be children of the King. Make us, make us fearless in our devotion to you. Make us loving and warm-hearted when we must challenge authority. And Lord, make us people of the book, the Bible. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.